0: Amen. Amen. Bless your heart. Isn't that good? Praise the Lord. God's good to us. And we thank him for all of his blessings and how good the Lord is to us. Good. Wonderful. All right. How many of you brought your Bible with you tonight? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building? I want to ask you to turn with me now to the Old Testament, to the book of Malachi, the Old Testament tonight. Malachi chapter 1, page number 980, if you have an old Scofield Bible. 980 or the very last book in the Old Testament and we're in chapter 1, one verse and then we'll just move out of this chapter uh, maybe next week, uh, Malachi chapter 1. Billy Ray Lyles is having surgery tomorrow over at the Baptist Hospital uh, on one of those heart oblations. Brother Billy's been having a lot of problems with his heart recently and, and uh, I guess congestive heart failure and uh, uh, heart gets out of rhythm and so they're going to try to go in tomorrow and do one of those oblations. Please make that a matter of prayer, if you will. As you think about that tomorrow, let's ask the Lord to help him. Speaking of my glasses, I don't know how many of y'all are in this, this condition, but I've got where I can't see to read my Bible anymore without having my glasses on, so I can't see very well, and I can't hear it thunder anymore. I really struggle hearing, and then I get tired real easy, and then my bones hurt all the time, and I can't hardly turn my neck no more. But, uh, you know, I can't hear, and I can't see, and I can't turn my neck, but at least I can still drive. <laughs> I mean if you all are with me on that. <laughs> yes, sir. So look out of the way, here I come. <laughs> I'm kidding. But I can't see very well, and I sure can't hear thunder, hardly. But uh, anyway, uh, at least, praise God, I'm going to get in the car and go home here in a little while, just look out of the way. Well, this is Malachi chapter 1. If you're there, would you say Amen. All right, I want, to, I want to read my verse in a little bit, so uh, let's have prayer. Father, would you please uh, bless your word tonight and just speak to our hearts from this text, I pray, and the Lord help us in this matter that, that this verse d- uh, talks to us about, uh, a problem that was going on in Malachi's day and a problem, as I see it, still going on in our day. So help us tonight. Teach us something from the Bible. This really probably ought to be preached on Sunday morning, but Lord, this is Wednesday night, and... Lord, I just pray you'd help us all from it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us recently in our Wednesday night services, then you may recall that, I don't know, four or five weeks ago that I started a series of sermons from the last book of our Old Testament, the book of Malachi. The one thing that I hope that we have all kind of got so far from this book is the fact that there are many similarities in in, in Malachi's day of of the characteristics that's going on in our day. As we have seen, I think, so far, this book is kind of right up to date where we're living, even though it's 2,500 years old. You know, the Bible has a certain relevancy to to it, and it's right up to date. In fact, more than tomorrow's uh, uh, Winston-Salem journal, the, the Word of God is right up to date with where you and I are living. And one of the greatest similarities between Malachi's day and our day is the fact that the people in Malachi's day were living before the coming of the Lord Jesus, the first coming of the Lord Jesus. And you and I are living in the days prior to the second and final coming of the Lord Jesus. And Malachi was warning people in that day, his day, to get right and because the Lord was, uh, was coming. Get right and get ready. Jesus is coming. And all over America tonight, preachers are standing up still to this very day warning people to get ready and to get right because Jesus is coming. Can I have an amen? I'm telling you, he is still coming. You say, preacher, well, we can breathe a sigh of relief. Donald Trump's in the White House. Well, can I tell you something? That doesn't change the fact that Jesus is coming again. You know, I think when the last president was in the White House, you and I were kind of just sitting on pins and needles waiting for the Lord to come. And then it almost seems like, well, when we got a new president, everybody said, Shh, everything's going to be okay for a while. But it didn't change the fact that Jesus is still coming tonight. And you better get right, and we better get ready. Malachi lived at the end of an age. Malachi lived at the end of the Old Testament. And you and I are living in the days as we near the end and the close of the New Testament. So what did the Lord do? Well, the Lord, through Malachi, sent a message for the people living in that day. I've told you this before. Deity sent a message for the clergy, and clergy had a message for the laity. And that's still true of this day. God's still sending messages to His, to His men, to His preachers, and those preachers still have a message for those of us as we live out these last days. Well, those were the days in which Malachi was living in. And uh, we're living in days similar to the days of Malachi. Well, as we look at chapter 1, and I've got to say this, I don't mean to be the dead horse to death because it seems like we've been in this chapter forever. If I've got them counted right, this is the fifth message from the book of Malachi chapter 1, and it only has 14, only has 14 verses in it. But uh, I, and I'm not trying to beat the dead horse to death, but I want to... I've got to share with you one final thought from this chapter because I read this verse and it kind of it spoke to me about where we are at. Now remember, through this chapter, they have been arguing with God. God said something to them. For instance, back in chapter 1 and verse 2, God said, hey, I love you. And the people's response was, oh yeah? Really? Really? They were arguing. They were debating what God was saying. They were disputing what the Lord was saying. Well, tonight, I want you to look with me at one verse. There's a thought in this verse or a phrase of this verse that I want to lift out and just talk about. And the verse that I want to read is verse 13. Now, look at it with me and see if you don't agree with me. Boy, this is relevant to the day and age in which we live. Look at verse 13. Ye said also... So God is saying, and, and not only have you said all these other things, but here's something else you've said. Look at verse 13. Behold, what a weariness is in it. Now the it that they're, that, that, that they're weary of is worship. We have been talking about through this chapter about them you know, offering sacrifices to God, which was an act of worship. And the people in Malachi's day were saying, you know what? We're just weary with this whole worship thing, and then they go on in verse number thirteen, and God says this, and ye have snuffed at it. Now I got to thinking, snuffed at it. What does that mean? The only snuff I know is snuff we used to buy my grandma, and she liked two bros, and she she loved her snuff. We bought her snuff for Christmas. Chocolate Santa Claus is in it, and snuff for Valentine's Day with chocolate hearts in it, and snuff for Easter with chocolate Easter bunnies in it, and snuff for Fourth of July with fireworks in it. She loved snuff, so every year it wasn't any wasn't any doubt. What I was going to buy my grandma was going to buy her two bros snuff for her for, for Christmas. But God said to these people here, you're weary of worship, and now you're snuffing at it. And I got to thinking, what does that mean? They're snuffing at it. So I got my Strong's Concordance out, and I looked up the word snuff. This is the only time in this, this, this verse where it's used in this connotation. It's used a couple of other times in the Bible. But the word snuffed means this, you blow breath. So let me, let me, let me, say, let me tell you what God was saying. God was saying when it comes to worship, you're just weary with it, and you just... When it comes to church, when it comes to worship. Now, I don't know about you, but man, it kind of sounds like a lot that where a lot of people are in our day. They're weary with worship. They come to church, they go through the, the motions, but they're unmoved, they're unexcited, they're unenthused, they're uninvolved, and because of all that, worship to them has become undesirable. And when you mention it, their attitude is, they snuff at it. Sad indeed is the person who has that kind of an attitude when it comes to the subject of worship. Now, you and I are living in a day and an age when I really believe that there's very little worship going on. We come to church, we go through the motions, and then we leave and for many of us, sad but true, there has been very little, if any, real worship. Amen. I heard about this old boy one time, and he, and all he'd heard about growing up was about all the fights that went on at hockey in the hockey matches. So finally, he said, "Man, I'm going to see for myself." And so he bought some tickets, excited to go see a fight. And so when he got there and he sat through the whole thing and the next day he went to work and, he, and one of his buddies said, well, how did you like it? He said, I, I went to see a fight, but a hockey game broke out. And you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if this coming Monday morning, for the Lord don't come, if we went to work, uh, went to work and somebody said, well, how about your services yesterday? And we said this, well, we went to church, but worship broke out. Because there's a big difference between going to church and worship, real worship. You know, I think a lot of times we come to church and we have the whole wrong concept of what church is all about. So we come to church, we gather in this place, and we come and we say, hey, let's just see if the Lord moves among us this morning when in reality we ought to come to church and our attitude ought to be this, hey, let's just see if we can move for the Lord this morning. You see, church... It's not about God coming to bless us. Church is a place that we come in order to gather together to bless God, to worship the Lord. You know, if we think of it in terms like that, it may actually change the way that we come to church. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody in in, in one service gathered together in the house of God and everybody just come come for the purpose of just worshiping God the Lord. Now, the word worship actually comes from two words, which means worth-ship. So in other words, when we worship, we give God what he's worthy of. And I kind of got it in my mind that where worship breaks out, where praise breaks out, where people gather together with the sole purpose of just worshiping and adoring and loving God, I kind of got it in my mind, The Lord hangs around a place like that because here's what we read in the Bible. In Psalms 22, in verse number 3, the Bible says this, speaking of God, but thou art holy. And boy, I think we all could just stop there and say, amen, he is a holy God, amen. Holy, 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 so says the Bible. The angels cry. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest, and that word inhabitest means abides in. It means to reside in. If you inhabit something, you live there. If you inhabit something, you stay there. If you inhabit something, you remain there. Now read it like this. O thou that stays, uh, resides, lives. uh, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Now if I understand that verse correctly, I think what I'm understanding from that is God abides in a place where he's praised at. God abides. He resides. He hangs... In fact, to use our terminology, God hangs around a place where he's praised at. We like to hear praises, don't we? I like it when my wife praises me a little bit when I'm standing in front of the mirror and I'm flexing. I like it when she says, Wow! you got the muscles of Samson. Most times she says, hey, you got bit by a mosquito right there. Is that I'm, no, I'm kidding, but we like it when people speak highly of us. We like it when somebody comes up to us and pays up. Maybe if you, you ladies are here tonight, somebody come up to you and say, I like the dress you have on. Or maybe some of us guys here tonight, somebody come up. Boy, I love your tie. You know, we, kind, we like that. I mean, I'm not going to hang around people that constantly criticize me. Are you? Because I might get in trouble and smack them in Jesus' name. Or they may smack me one. I don't want to hang around people that criticize and constantly are condescending to me. But I'll tell you what, you let somebody start saying some nice things about you, you have a tendency to be drawn toward that. Well, God is the same way. When God is worshipped and God is praised and God is loved and God is testified about, he said, I'll inhabit a place like that. That's why you and I ought to come with the attitude of worshiping the Lord, praising Him. Hey, let's don't get weary with worship tonight. But the people in Malachi's day were... When it came to worship. And they said, we're just weary with the whole thing. And God said, okay, if that's the way it's going to be, look back up in verse number 10. God said, if this is the way it's going to be, then why don't we just shut the doors... And let the fire go out. In other words, you know, the offering, the, the burnt offerings were offered up on the brazen altar. God said, hey, why don't we just let the fire go out? And why don't we just shut the doors and just, just, just bolt them forever? If this is your attitude toward worship, why are we even going through the motions of it? And can I just say in these last days, I still think the Lord will hang around, God will inhabit the praises of His people. He will stick around a place that is interested in worshiping Him. I think God's looking for that. I think the Lord Lord is just just going about and He's looking for a place where a people will gather together for the sole purpose of worship. When's the last time you come to church? And maybe before you got here, you said, Lord, would you let me worship you today? Now, we call, you know, they say, man, Sunday school is at 9 o'clock, worship is at 10 o'clock, but how much worshiping are we doing at 10 o'clock? You know, they got on the signs out front of church, Sunday school, this time, morning worship at that time. But how many times do we come and go from church and there's been no worship? Well, I just want to talk to us tonight on the subject of being weary of worship. How do you get over being weary of worship? Well, three things. Get your prayer sheet out. Let's, let's put these three things down. When you're, if you're weary of worship, if the whole notion just causes you to... If the whole no, by the way, I'm preaching to the wrong crowd here tonight. Ain't I? You're the Wednesday night crowd. You're always here. But uh, how many of us may be in this room tonight when it comes to worship or, or, or that Sunday morning crowd? How many of them, when it comes to worship, say, man, I'm just weary with the whole idea of this? Well, then there's three things we need to remember. First of all, number one, remember the nature of God. Remember the nature of God. What I'm saying is when we come to church, let's remember who we're meeting with. For instance, if you look back in verse number 6, I don't mean to beat this horse to death, but remember when we come to church, we're meeting with our Father. Look at verse 6, a son honoreth his father. So every time we, we come to church here, what we're doing is we're having a meeting. I said this past Sunday morning, we're meeting with the family. But you know something more important than that? We're meeting with the father on Sunday, on Sunday morning. And the Bible said a son honoreth his father. And then God said this, if I then be a father, hey, where's my honor? And the word honor means this, it means to have weight attached to it. Or it would mean this. Let me let me say it. It would mean this, to take seriously. Hey, when we come to church, the one thing that we ought to take serious about is the fact that we're coming to meet with our Father. If there's any relationship in our life that we ought to take serious, it is our that we ought to attach weight to or to use the Bible word that we ought to honor, it's the relationship that we have with our Father. I tell my wife this, don't you be mad at me, but I tell her this from time to time. I say, honey, I want you to love another man more than you love me as long as his name is Jesus. Because can I tell you something? If she loves him like she's supposed to, she's not going to have any trouble loving me like she's supposed to. And I'm sure if she would hear tonight, she would probably say, and you know something? I want you to love Jesus more than you love me because if I love him like I'm supposed to, I'll have no trouble being the kind of husband to her that I'm supposed to be. Amen. Hey, let's, put, let's take our relationship with Jesus seriously. When's the last time you came to church and said before you got here, God, you're my heavenly Father and I love you and I want to worship you today. I want to worship. Help me to worship. I want everything that I do in church today to honor you. Hey, remember who God is. He's our Father. Look again at verse 6. Remember this. Remember He's not only our Father, but remember this. He's our Master as well. And the verse says in verse number 6, if I'm your Master, where's my fear? Now, wait a minute. Look this way. That doesn't mean that we shake in our boots when it comes to God, but it does mean this, that we we reverence God. You know something? We come to church so many times, so frivolous in our coming. I mean, we take going to church with such just indifference. Well, it's Sunday morning. If I don't show up, my teacher will call me. It's Sunday morning. If I don't be there, I'm sure somebody will probably call me the preacher or somebody. And we come to church with such an indifferent and careless attitude when we come to church. I mean, while we sit in church, we're constantly... Can you believe it's already 747 and he's just on point number one? Do you know how long we're going to be here tonight? And we're constantly... Hey, let me ask you something. How many ball games in overtime do you sit going, I have got to get in the bed? I have got to have a snack. I wish this thing was over. We come to church and and we're more concerned about getting out than we are about getting in. I mean, it's it's such just indifference. Or else we sit in church and the whole time we're there, we're daydreaming about what happened today or we're making plans about tomorrow. Or else, or else. We sit in church and the whole time we're sitting there I'm going to text so-and-so and see if they saw how Sister Wigglejaw was wearing her hair today. I mean, while church is going on. And I mean, all we can do, man, we're on our cell phones and we're not a bit engaged. Or we stand up to sing and Brother Mark or Brother Brian stands up and says, hey, hey, turn to page number, whatever. Let's stand and sing Victory in Jesus. And we all stand and here's our song. Here's the way we sing. and we're totally disengaged from it all. Look at me. That's not worship. Hey, buddy, when we come to church, when they announce the text, or not the text, but the number of the page, man, we ought to be on our feet, ready to sing to the top of our ever-loving lungs, whether we can sing or not, because why? We're doing it as unto the Lord. God. Hey, look, we're not the audience expecting God to move. God is the audience expecting us to worship. God is looking for somebody who will just come and, man, worship the Lord. We don't pray when anybody else prays. I mean, man, cell phones when we should be listening. Can I tell you the truth of the matter is why the world no longer fears God? Because we as and I said we, but we as God's people don't fear God anymore. And a lot of that shows up in how we act when we come to church. It's almost like we come to church. I'm not getting out. This is for Sunday morning. I'm not even preaching to y'all. But we come to church on Sunday morning. It's like we sit on him. And we just take a seat. Some of us don't even bring our Bible to church. Man, I could be preaching out of the Sears and Roebuck. You'd never know the difference. We don't bring the Bible. We're not attentive. We don't listen. We don't sing. I mean, we don't half pray when everybody else is praying. It's almost like we just say to ourselves, well, I got here, I've done God a favor this week. What about worship? What about giving God what God deserves? What about giving God what God demands? And that is our work. How many of you tonight, don't be, I knew what I was preaching on, so I had to step up on you. But how many of us come down the road tonight saying, God, it's hot I am wore out, but I want to worship you tonight. You are, yeah. How many of us come with that attitude? That's good. Buddy, if we would change our mindset about coming to church, I think we would change our life when we leave church. Amen. Very good. Good. Remember the nature of God. Number two, I've got to hurry because so many of you are going <laughs> right now. Number two, not only remember the, na- the, the nature of God, but number two, Respect the name of God. Respect the name of God. Now, really, if you look at this, really this whole message in chapter 1 is really being given to the priest. I mean, God is upset with the priest of Malachi's day. If you, want, if you, don't, if you doubt that, look back at verse number 6, and kind of toward the end of the verse, God said, uh, uh, "...saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest..." Really, this whole message is being given to the priest of that day. God is upset with the priest and he accuses them of despising his name. Now, how, of all people of that day, how were the priests despising God's name? Well, according to our text, the way they were despising God's name was by the sacrifices that they were offering to him. God was upset with them because they were accepting the second best of the people and taking those offerings and offering them up unto the Lord. The priest, if anybody else knew, the priest knew the kind of uh, 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 sacrifice that would be acceptable to God. So here comes so-and-so and he's reached back into his flock and he's got an old mangy lamb or an old mangy bullock, and he's going to bring that and offer it up to God. It's half sick. It's got three legs, an ear missing. It's blind in one eye. Teeth ain't got a tooth in his mouth. Manes all over it, disease. And a man would bring that and offer it up to God. The priest ought to say, man, we ain't offering that up to the Lord. But the priest would just take it and just offer it up to God anyway. And and the whole while, if you look at verse number 9, just because they were offering up these sacrifices, they were expecting God to bless them. Look at verse 9. And now I pray you beseech God that he'll be gracious unto us. They were saying, hey, we've we, we offered up our sacrifice. Hey, God will be okay. Ask the Lord to bless us. God would accept nothing less than a sacrifice without blemish. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because every one of those sacrifices was pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice that God would send into this world. And I would remind you that God didn't send an orphan son into the world and God didn't send an angel down here with a broke wing and a missing feather. God sent the best he had, his only begotten son, the only one of its kind. God gave his best for us and we're going to offer up mangy bullocks to him? And God was upset with these priests because of the offerings, the sacrifices they were offering up. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. I know you're thinking this right now. You're thinking to yourself, Brother Tim, shame on them priests, but pray tell me, what does that have to do with me? Did you know something? According to our New Testament, you're a priest. You see, there's a doctrine in the New Testament that we call the priesthood of the believer because when God saved you by the grace of God, you got born again and washed in the blood of Jesus. Guess what God made you? Not only his son, but God made you a priest and a king. Look at this verse right here, Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. The Bible said, and by the way, verse number 5 said, "...unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood." Verse 6 says, and hath made us kings and priests unto God. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this. Look, you don't have to go to some priest somewhere to gain access to God. You don't have to go to get somebody to go to God on your behalf. Guess what? God fixed that when he saved you. He made you a priest. You can go right to God yourself. You and I are priests in the family of God. Look at First Peter chapter 2 verse number five, says this, "Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house set with me. and holy what? You're a priest. I'm a priest. All God's children are priests. And what was the job of an Old Testament priest? Offer up sacrifices. What is the job of a New Testament priest? Offer up sacrifices. Oh, you say, Brother Tim, you mean to tell me i got to bring an animal when I come? No, no, I'm not talking about physical sacrifices. I'm talking about spiritual sacrifices. In other words, when we come to church as God's priest, God's looking at us and says, OK, now, what kind of a sacrifice did you bring me today? Hey, are, are we offering up God mangy sacrifices? Are we offering up to God diseased sacrifices? Are we offered up to God leftover, half-hearted sacrifices? No, sir. As New Testament priests, God said, hey, bring me your sacrifice, but don't bring me the worst that you've got. Hey, bring the best you've got. Right, right, yeah. Now, what are the spiritual sacrifices that we offer up? I'm glad you ask. Let me show them to you. Here's a spiritual sacrifice. Look at this verse, Hebrews 13, 5. By him, therefore, let us offer thee... What's the next word? Sacrifice of what? Praise. praise to God continually. So in other words, when we offer up a, a, a spiritual sacrifice, one of the spiritual sacrifices that we offer up is a sacrifice of praise. Now question, how much have you been praising God lately? Hey, how much through your prayer time? I challenge myself sometimes. I live probably about two miles off the interstate, but it takes me probably... I live right on the interstate, but the way the road system is in Pilot Mountain, I have to travel around and through town to get back on the highway. If I had an off-and-on ramp behind my house, I'm going to fix me one. If I can ever put me a bridge across that creek, I'm going to make me a ramp right onto Highway 52, right through the woods. But anyway, I have to ramp, and I challenge myself sometimes that when I leave my house, my morning prayer time, that I don't ask God for one thing till I get to the highway and I spend that whole time just thanking God and praising God for what he's done in my life. Hey, why don't you set a two-mile radius in your life? Hey, why don't you set a, a time in your life where you offer up to God? And by the way, that's not every morning neither. I'm way behind on praising God. But a spiritual sacrifice that a New Testament priest offers up is the sacrifice of praise. Hey, when's the last time you just praise God for who he is? Boy, I walked out the other morning. It felt so crisp and so good. And there was not a cloud in the sky and sun was coming up. And I thought, man, what a beautiful, Lord, thank you. You made. And I just tried to praise him just a little bit. That's the spirit. Here's the second spiritual sacrifice. Look at this one. Psalms 107, verse 22, and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of what? Hey, when's the last time that you just come to God and say, God, I'm a New Testament priest. I bring you this morning the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And by the way, that's not just one day a year. Just constantly, thank you, God, and just go down a list, a made-out list, I'll tell you what, we'd do a whole lot less complaining if we do, do a whole lot more thinking. Yes, sir. I'm talking about the sacrifice of Thanksgiving and then how could I mention sacrifices without mentioning your money? Look at this verse. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. Paul said, but I have all and abound. I am full. And by the way, the church had taken up an offering of, of, for the apostle Paul and they gave it to a man by the name of Epaproditus and said, hey, we took this offering up for Paul. We know he's struggling. Give it to him. And he said, I have all to about. I'm full, having received of Epaproditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable and well-pleased. Can I ask you something? When God smelled what you gave this past Sunday, did God go, oh! Or did God go, Whoo! that smelled pretty good? Because even what we give to God in our tithe and our offering is a sacrifice as a New Testament priest offered up to God. How many of y'all with me on this? So God, I mean, Malachi, God said, hey, I'm tired. You priest in Malachi's day, but God would say, hey, you priest in those last days right before I come again. Man, y'all are offering up half-hearted sacrifices. So we need to do what? Number one, we need to remember the nature of God. Number two, we need to remember or we need to respect the name of God. Then number three, this will change our worship. This will put a, this will put a bounce in your worship and that's this. We need to reverence the nobility of God. Look at verse number 14. When we come to church, you know who we're meeting with? We're meeting with the king. Look at verse 14. The Bible said, But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male, and voweth and sacrifices unto the Lord a corrupt thing. So they got this perfect male sacrifice in their, in their flock, and they vow to God, God, I promise you, that's the one I'm going to give you. But when it comes time to give it, what do they do? The Bible said they sacrifice unto the Lord a corrupt thing or a thing that is sick or not worthy or disease, not worthy to be sacrificed. And then notice what God said, for I am a great what? Amen. I'm a great king. You know, when we come to church, what we're doing? We're meeting with the king. Right. Can I say that one more time? Yeah. We're meeting with the king. Amen. I don't know if president, the president will ever come to church here, but I guarantee you if he did. For that one Sunday, people would come, and man, they would just be so... Man, the president's gonna be here. No, sir, not today, not titty shoes today. The president's gonna to be here today. Yeah, I'm gonna put the I might meet him, I might shake his hand. I'm really I'm gonna dress up. The president's gonna be there today. But can I tell you something? Every time we walk in here, we meet with somebody that is that is I mean, the president ain't even in the same league, I mean in the same zip code, in the same area code. We're meeting with the king. That's why I encourage you when you come. You don't need to wear evening gowns and tuxedos, but, man, dress like you're coming to meet with the king. Amen. Amen. Hey, friend, when you come uh, to church here, why don't you you walk in with the attitude, man, I am meeting with the king. This is a place that God has designed for us to come and to draw into his presence. I know you can worship God on the Creek Bank. I know you can sit on the lake bank and worship God, but I'm telling you, as far as God's concerned, the one place that He designed specifically for worship is the church.. And our attitude is, I'm so tired of this. When man, when it comes to worship, man, we ought to be looking, we ought to be like on steroids. I mean, we ought to come in, man, just like a man. I mean, just all to pieces, like, oh, when when is worship going to happen? Instead of saying, it's 8.03. Are we not ready to go yet? I'm just weary with the whole thing. Isn't Isn't that kind of where we're at today? Isn't this book right up today when we grow weary of worship? God help us. Come Sunday morning and realize God is the audience. He's looking for us to move. Amen. Amen. And if we do that, there's no telling what might happen around here. And we could go to work Monday and say, "How'd church yesterday. Well, I went to church, but worship broke out. We've had a few services around here where worship broke out. I am always ready to preach, or I try to be, Always ready to preach. I think some people come to church and think, well, man, I would testify, but I know the preacher's wanting to preach. I'm supposed to want to preach. I'm a preacher. I mean, God wired me up to want to preach. But when it comes to worship, and by the way, I believe through preaching we can worship. But I mean, when it comes to worship, worship supersedes everything in the house of God. It's time to worship. He is worthy of our worship. Well, let's pray.